Good morning, everyone. I have a message for you today. The message is a simple message, um, but it's one of my favorite topics, so it makes it really fun for me. And what that topic is, is the faithfulness of God. So last week, anybody know what last week was? Remember? Right, Easter, Resurrection Day. So that means a lot of things. That represents a lot for our faith, right? That is a big day in, in our faith um, community and our beliefs um, because what Jesus did, what he said he was going to do. He came back for us, and he promised for thousands of years that he was going to come back and make a way for us because he wanted us to be close to him again. So um, though, yes, we celebrate the resurrection and that event, um, which Papa's message was awesome last week. You should listen to it. Um, but we, we don't just celebrate the event. We celebrate the person. And for me, um, a big part of that is that I can trust that he will do what he says because he said he was coming back and he came back. And so I can trust in the faithfulness of God because he kept his promise. So it's not a new concept that our God will do what he says that he'll do, right? So God promised Abraham that, and he was a childless man. He was old, say he was old. God promised him that his descendants were going to outnumber the stars in the sky. Say he's old. Abram, Abram goes to God and he says, God, I'm actually old. I don't know if you knew this. I know you're outside of time, but here on earth, I'm old. And he says, I don't have a son. But, or he says, he says, I don't see that happening. But here's Ishmael. He'll do just fine. He says, here, here's what I have. Here's what you can work with. He'll be great. But uh, God doesn't, God didn't go for that plan. He says, no, Sarah will have the one uh, who, will, who will give us the descendants that will outnumber the stars. So how many of you know the song Father Abraham? I don't know why we add the hokey pokey to that song, but we do. So we can all sing Father Abraham with complete accuracy because God did what he said he would do. He said that Abraham would have more children than the stars in the sky, and guess what? He did it. So how important is it for us to know God's character? Now, just because he said it, now, because he said it, it makes it true. But just because he said it does not make it obvious. When God said to Sarah, uh, you will be the mother and Abraham, you will be the mother and father of nations. Abraham says, God, I'm old, but here, I have Ishmael. This was Sarah's response. She said, now Abraham and Sarah were old. This is Genesis 18, 11 through 15. Now Abraham and Sarah were old, well advanced in age, just in case you didn't know what old meant. And Sarah had passed the age of childbearing. Therefore, Sarah laughed within herself, saying, after I have grown old, shall I have pleasure, my Lord being old also? And the Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh, saying, shall I surely bear a child since I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will return to you according to the time of life, and Sarah shall have a son. But Sarah denied it, saying, I did not laugh, for she was afraid. And he said, no, but you did laugh. God said it, so it made it true, but it didn't make it obvious. So if we don't know God's character as a faithful father, when he says something that makes no sense, we're going to look at it, and we're going to get disappointed, and we're going to grow weary, and we're going to start to doubt because we don't know his character. We don't know his nature as a faithful God. So 
I am a strategy person. I love it. Like, I love it. I could teach on it. Like, give me a mess and tell me to organize it. That's my jam. Like, yes, come on. Like, gift card to the container store is like, ah, like, that's awesome. So I love strategy. I love putting the pieces together to make them work. I love figuring out complex problems. But when it comes to the things of God, they're not always obvious, and you can't always make sense of them, no matter how good at strategy you are. So if you don't understand that God is a faithful God, you'll start looking more at the strategies than the vision, and you'll grow. That's when hope deferred can come in. That's where we get disappointed. That's where we start to doubt that he is who he says he is. So uh, even though I am a strategy person, and actually... I need visionary people in my life, but a lot of times I get to visionary people and they're telling me, I had a dream. And they're telling you the plan. It's, they're going to change the world. It's going to be amazing because the idea that they had today, it's going to be amazing. And I, I, in my mind, I'm going, that is so awesome. You don't know how to do any of that. So strategy is important, vision is important, we need them together, it's why we work so well together. Um, that's not what my message is about. So our faith can't be in the how, even though if you're a strategy person, even though visionary people, strategy is important, let me tell you. But our faith cannot be in the how, it has to be in the who. So Fast forward to long after Sarah's death. Now, remember, she laughed. She was like, I'm old. You actually expect me. You want me to go have sex with this old guy, and then you want this old body to give birth to a child. Like, that's what she says. Read it. And so fast forward to Hebrews 11.11, 11, and it says, By faith, Sarah also received strength to conceive seed, and she bore a child when she was past the age, because she judged him faithful who had promised. So when Sarah was looking at the how, that's what she's saying. Old body, old body, you want me to have a child? No, that's, she was looking at the how. But at some point, she must have gotten her eyes off of the how and onto the who because it says she judged him faithful who had promised. So whenever we see him as faithful, every how, every when, every why, every what is subject to his faithfulness. We know the scripture, Hebrews 11.1, 1, says, Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. When our faith in God is in God, we believe who he says he is and that he'll do what he says that he'll do. It doesn't mean that we'll understand how he's going to do it. So if we don't have a firm grip on who he is and his faithfulness, then we will conform our theology to our circumstances because we're looking at the how and it's not working. So we're going to make sense of it in our own mind. And that begins to shape our theology of who we believe that he is. And I actually stumbled upon, I wasn't even looking for it, but I stumbled upon a, a clip from Stephen Furtick and he was preaching on faith. And he said, the opposite of faith is not doubt. The opposite of faith is sight. And I thought, well, that's interesting. Because what is faith? It is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. So if we look at what's going on around us and we see our circumstances, is that faith or is that sight? So just because it's not obvious doesn't mean it's not him. So um, today I want to go on a little bit of a Bible journey. Are you ready? 
the scriptures will be up there for you who do not bring your Bible. So it's a lot of scripture. Are you ready for that? Awesome. Okay. In the New King James Version, but it's okay. We're All right. <laughs> we'll pray for you later. <laughs> all right. So we're starting our journey. We already went through Abraham. So we know Abraham um, received the promise from God that he was going to be the father of nations and that all the families of the earth would be blessed because of him. Now we're going to fast forward to Abraham, Abraham's great-grandson, Joseph. So if you know the story of Joseph, um, you know that he is an Israelite. He's in the family of Abraham. He was a favorite, um, and it did not go well for him because he had a lot of older brothers, and they did not like that he was the favorite. So he ends up getting thrown into a pit. Um, then he becomes a, a prisoner, um, and then he eventually, through the favor of God, gets to the palace. So there's a lot of gaps I'm not filling in. I'm trusting that you know it or are going to read it later. But... Um, Joseph's family prospered because the favor of God marked Joseph's life everywhere he went. In prison, he became the head of the prison. In the palace, he became uh, right under the king. He became so successful in the palace. So God's favor so marked his life. And then right at uh, the, the very end of his life, um, he says this to, to his uh, family, his brothers, right before he dies. He says, I am dying, but God surely will visit you and bring you out of this land to the land of which he swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Now, Joseph knew his God. He knew the God of his fathers, and he knew the promises that were made to his people, to his family. Okay? Now, fast forward to Exodus 11. No, Exodus 1, the next chapter of the Bible. Exodus 1, verses 6 through 12. And Joseph died, all his brothers and all that generation, but the children of Israel were fruitful and increased abundantly, multiplied, and grew exceedingly mighty, and the land was filled with them. Now there were those who now there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. Say, did not know Joseph. And he said to his people, Look, the people of the children of Israel are more and mightier than we. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them, lest they multiply. And it happen in the event of war that they also join our enemies and fight against us. And so go up out of the land and, yeah, and leave the land. Therefore, they set taskmasters over them to afflict them with their burdens. Now, this new generation did not know Joseph, remember? So what this tells me is that they probably were not talking about those promises that God had made them. They were not talking about, it was not a prevalent part of their their day-to-day because they didn't know Joseph. It was as if they had forgotten the past of what had happened, of what God had promised. So now the Egyptians um, are overtaking the Israelites, overtaking God's people, and they're making them slaves. That's not, they're not in a good place. Very unhappy people at this point. So fast forward to the next chapter, Exodus 2, 23 through 25. And it says, now it happened in the process of time that the king of Egypt died. Then the ch- children of Israel groaned because of the bondage. And they cried out, and they, their cry came up to God because of the bondage. So God heard their groaning. I just want to point out, because I thought this was interesting, and I don't have all of the theology behind it, so this might just be my revelation. But when it says they were in bondage, and they cried out, and their cry came up to God because of the bondage, it doesn't really specify that they were crying out to God. It just said that their cries came up to God. 
And so um, to me, that was just another thing is um, I wonder if at that time they were focused on the promises of God or they were just groaning because it never says that their cry was to God. It just says that their cry was heard by God. So um, verse 24, so God heard their groaning and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And God looked upon the children of Israel and God acknowledged them. So God remembered his promise, because remember, God is a faithful God. Now, God says, okay, I acknowledge them. I acknowledge their situation. I acknowledge this suffering that they're in. So enter Moses. So how many of you, if you need a superhero, you're going to pick the murderer and the coward? So Moses is born, right? If you know the story of Moses, um, they, the Egyptians had issued an order for all of the um, Israelite males to be killed, and so the babies that were born. And so uh, Moses' mom says, no way, this is my child. She puts him in a river in a basket. He's found by uh, an Egyptian princess, okay? You'll have to read if you don't know all the story. So um, Moses then, he sees, because he's actually an Israelite, he sees the oppression that the Israelites are under because of the Egyptians, and he ends up killing an Egyptian. He kills him, finds out that people know that he killed someone, and he runs. So murderer, coward, hero. Okay, so God sees him and picks Moses. He chooses Moses as the rescuer. So now we're in Exodus 6. Are you following the Bible journey we're on? Okay. Exodus 6, 2 through 9, and God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty, but my name, Lord, was, I was not known to them. I have also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land of their pilgrimage, in which they were strangers. And I have also heard the groaning of the children of Israel, whom the Egyptians keep in bondage, and I have remembered my covenant. Therefore, I say to the children of Israel, I am the Lord. I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will rescue you from their bondage, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great judgments. I will take you as my people, and I will be your God. Then you shall know that I am the Lord your God who brings you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. And I will bring you into the land which I swore to give to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And I will give it to you as a heritage. I am the Lord. Okay, pause there. So what is God doing to Moses? Because Moses here is, um, he is lived in an Egyptian household. He sees the bondage of his people. At this point, we, we don't know what they know of the promises of God. Um, so what is God doing? He's saying to Moses, I made a promise. I made a covenant with your people that I am the God of your forefathers. I made them this promise that they would have a land of their own, that they would be free from this bondage. So God is telling Moses, whether he knew or whether this was the first time, I don't know. But God is telling him, I made this promise. My people will know me as a God who keeps this promise. And so Moses, this is verse 9, Moses spoke this to the children of Israel. But they did not heed Moses because of anguish of spirit and cruel bondage. So the people didn't believe Moses because here God is telling Moses, this is the promise that I made to your people, that you would be free, that you would have a land to call your own. Um, now, so God told that to Moses, and here Moses is relaying that to the people, and the people don't believe him because of what they see, of what they're experiencing, of what they've lived through, the bondage that they're under. So it says they did not heed Moses because of the 
the anguish of spirit and cruel bondage. So what does God do? God shows himself to the people that he's faithful. So through 10 plagues, how many of you know the 10 plagues? Do we need, I can't go through them all today. You're going to have to read it on your own. So God sends these plagues upon Egypt, and what do they affect? They affect all of the Egyptian households, but none of the Israelite households. What is God doing? He's saying, I am a faithful God. He's showing judgment on the Egyptians while completely separating the Israelites from, from these plagues. And so he's showing himself as a faithful God to these people. So um, God's people began to see him as a just God. This is 10 plagues. This isn't like a one-off thing. This is over and over again. God is saying, I have a plan for you. I have a plan for you. I have a plan for you. And so then we get to the 10th plague. And God, uh, and the plague is that the, the firstborn children uh, or male children of the Egyptian households um, are, are going to die. And so uh, what does God say? We, we are familiar with this. God tells the Israelites to kill a spotless lamb and to put the blood on the doorposts and lintel, right? Um, what do we call that? Passover. Good job. Okay. So what, what God told them to do is put the blood on the doorpost so that when the angel of death passed through, the, it would pass over the Israelite households. So once again, God is showing his faithfulness to the people of Israel. So now in Exodus 12, 14, and then verses 26 and 27, God says this about Passover. So this day shall be to you a memorial, and you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations. You shall keep it as a feast by an everlasting ordinance, and it shall be when your children say to you, what do, we, what do you mean by this service? That you shall say, it is the Passover sacrifice of the Lord who passed over the houses of the children of Israel in Egypt when he struck the Egyptians and delivered our household. So, God is saying, I want you to make this a constant memorial of my faithfulness. So when your children say, why are we doing this? We do this. Why do we do this? They're to tell them, God is faithful. God is faithful. God is faithful. He rescued us. He kept his word. He kept his promise that he was going to set us free from this bondage. Now, we're almost through our Bible journey. Okay. Jumping all the way through to Jesus. Um, now, this is the Lord's Supper, which is a recognition where, where it's Passover. Um, and so Luke 22, 19 through 20, it says, And Jesus took bread and gave thanks and broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Likewise, he also took the cup up after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for you. What does covenant mean? It's a promise. So Jesus is now saying, now we're at Jesus. So we've jumped way far into the future to Jesus. And Jesus says, whenever you do this, remember my faithfulness. So it never stopped. He said, always remember my faithfulness. I'm a faithful God. So I love communion because to me, it's not just a moment. It's me having a, a, an, ex, an encounter with God, with a faithful God, and say, God, you were faithful, and you are faithful. You will always be faithful. So when we partake of the communion elements, it's not just about um, remembering the cross, even though we do. It's remembering he is a faithful God. So every time we remember his faithfulness, we're solidifying within ourselves that he is a God who does what he says that he will do. 
It's saying that he is for us and not against us. Every promise that he's made for us, we are acknowledging it, we're recognizing it, and we're believing it. So he says, I have a future and a hope that is good for you. All things that work together, all things work together for those who love me and are called according to my purpose. So your values and your beliefs are shaped by your habits. Uh, there's a whole scientific teaching that I can give you if you want proof, but or you could just believe me. So your your beliefs, your values are shaped by your your thoughts, your your thought habits. So the more you dwell on something, the more it solidifies what you believe. So the more we are remembering the faithfulness of God, the more it is solidifying our beliefs that He is a God who keeps His word. Now, it does not mean that it's going to look the way you think it's going to look. Because remember, just because it's true doesn't make it obvious. So it changed my life when I decided that no matter what, I was going to confess and confess often that the Lord will do what he says. How many of you have heard me say that? Probably, I know some of you. The Lord will do what he says. It became uh, a catchphrase for my life. So I just began rehearsing that. The Lord will do what he says. The Lord will do what he says. The Lord will do what he says. That was just like my simple phrase to remind me of the faithfulness of God. So um, I'm going to tell you a story. Ready? I don't have story time music or little mats that we can pull out, but we're going to tell a story. Um, it's not a happy story, sorry. So about a couple of years ago, um, my family was in a car accident. My mom and my two sisters, two of my sisters, yes, uh, were in a car accident. So I get a call um, from my father, who is hysterical. Like he, I could hardly understand what he was saying. Um, and I, all I knew was that there had been an accident. Uh, my mom and my sister were going to the hospital by ambulance, and one of my sisters was being lifelined, and I needed to get to the hospital right away. So I'm in the car on the way to the hospital, and I am having discussion with God. And it is not like, Lord, I know that you are a faithful God. Like, no, I am like frantic. I don't know what happened. All I got was this hysterical phone call. So I don't know what I'm getting to the hospital to find. And so I'm in the car going, God, you said, you said, you said. You said that you would keep them. You said that, that you would protect them. But I'm not saying it in, like, confidence. I'm not saying it like, oh, wow, holy. Like, no, it was like, God, you said. Like, I'm a little angry. Like, I don't know what is happening. And so I'm in the car on the way, and this is what my moment is with God. Um, and I remember... Um, I wasn't even driving because I couldn't because I was shaking, so Danielle drove me. And so, but I'm in the passenger seat. We're following an ambulance. I don't know if my sister's in the ambulance, my mom. So I'm just, I'm a mess. And so inside, I'm a mess as well. And I just remember um, that, that phrase that I had been rehearsing over and over and over, the Lord will do what he says. And in that moment, I had to make a decision. This was not, how. now I told you that thoughts can be shaped, thoughts are shaped by your habits. Another way that your beliefs and your values are shaped is through trauma. So in a moment of trauma, your beliefs can be changed. And so I'm in the car, and I had, and that, that phrase came to me, the Lord will do what he says. And I remember I had to choose. I had to will myself to believe that. The Lord will do what he says. That did not mean necessarily that I believed that when I got to the hospital, everything was going to be fine. Nobody was going to have a scratch on them. I still didn't know what I was coming, what I was going to find. But I had to will myself to believe that no matter what, the Lord is faithful. The Lord will do what he says. So 
we can't allow a moment of trauma or a season of trauma or a season of, of everything around us going wrong and not matching what God said he was going to do. We can't allow those moments or those seasons to shape what we believe into our circumstances, into what we can see. So I remember in that time, I had to will myself to believe what I believed. And so sometimes we have to do that. We have to say, I believe that you are faithful, not because of what I see, but because of who I know. And so um, my, my family was okay. <laughs> For those who don't know or who may be listening, um, I did get there. There was emergency surgeries and braces and broken bones and things, but um, everyone survived and is doing great now. Um, but the point of the story was that in that time, I had to will myself because it's not always um, just a matter of saying what you believe. Sometimes it's saying it's willing yourself to believe what you believe. And so no matter what we see around us, no matter um, all the questions of how is this going to happen, why is this happening, when is this going to happen, who said it? And that's why I can believe it, because the Lord will do what he says. So... The how does not determine who he is. So when we stop focusing on the how of how is this going to happen, when we start focusing on the who, because we can trust that he's a God of his word and that he'll do what he says, what happens is that when we look at him, fear has to go because perfect love casts out fear. And so shame has to go because looking at him is looking at perfect identity. And lack has to go because he provides all my needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. And so when we stop looking at the how, because when you're looking at the how of how am I going to do this, how am I going to pay this bill, how am I going to reconcile this relationship, how am I going to make it right, how, 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 we're not looking at the one who made the promise. We're looking at the obvious. So if we start looking at what is true instead of what's obvious, the solutions the answers, what you need, doesn't mean it's going to come how you think it should, but it will come because he is faithful. So, yeah, the Lord says that, said this to me when I was preparing this. Um, it, I have, but how is it going to happen when all I see is the opposite? And so, um, it came to me, the more you look at his faithful God, the more you will see one. So the more you look at his faithfulness, the, the fact that he is a faithful God, the more you're going to see his faithfulness in those things around you. In every little thing, whether it's past, present, future, you're going to begin to see the faithfulness of God it's because it's what you're focused on. It's what you're looking at. Uh, in Luke 1, verses 34 through 38, this is Mary, when Jesus gave her, or the angel gave her the great news <laughs> Guess what? Teenage Mary, who's not married yet, you're going to have a son, and he's going to be the savior of the world. We think, oh, like, I, I see that moment with a little bit of realism, like, so, but this is what happened. So verses 34 through 38, then Mary said to the angel, how can this be? How? How can this be? Since I do not know a man. The angel answered and said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the highest will overshadow you, and therefore also the Holy One who is born will be called the Son of God. Now indeed, Elizabeth, our relative, your relative, has also conceived a son in her old age, 
And this now is, this, is six months for her who was called barren. For with God, nothing will be impossible. Then Mary said, Behold, the maidservant of the Lord, let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. So she said, How can this be? And God said, The Holy Spirit. He said, The faithful one will do it. Don't worry about the how. And she said, Okay, you said it, so I believe it. So faith is not what you see. It's believing that no matter what you see, what you, the, the who, the who that you know is more true than what you see. So why is testimony so important? Testimony is declaring a faithful God. So when we share a testimony, we aren't sharing a method. It's not, this worked for me, this will work for you. Otherwise, the cure for blindness would be mud, right? It's not saying, this worked this time, this worked for me. I'm going to tell you so that you know what to do. No, testimony is a person. And every day, we should be meditating and communing with that person who testimony is, not just what it is. It's not, it's not a way. It's not a how. It's a who. And so testimony um, is so transforming. It's so transformative because um, we are constantly reminding ourselves and the world around us that he's faithful. He is faithful. He did this. He will. He will. He will. Why? Because he said that he will. And he's a God of his word. So my challenge for us is uh, to begin to be aware throughout our days of how many times we're focused on the how. And now that I'm telling you this, you'll start to recognize it. And so when you recognize that you're focused on the how, okay, then make a conscious choice to shift and to focus on the who. Okay, what did God say? Is he a God of his word? Will he keep his word? Yes. And just see what a difference that makes in your life. So when we make a conscious choice to take our how and to change it into the who, that's a testimony. We're saying God is a faithful God. So uh, you know the song, um, No Longer Slaves? The, the bridge part of the song says, you, sh you split the sea so I could walk right through it. You drowned my fears in perfect love. You rescued me so I can stand and sing, I am a child of God. We know that as a bridge in a song. That was reality for the songwriter. That was a moment. That was whether she had to will herself, he had to will himself to declare that over his life, or whether he was looking at the faithfulness of God and saying, this is what I know. He, that, those lyrics were a decision to look at what he's done and declare him a faithful God. So if you need to do that in your own life, you don't have to write a song, but write something, whether it's a simple phrase of the Lord will do what he says. Have that thing that you can constantly be telling yourself and reminding yourself of who God is, not how it's going to happen, but who God is. So in the midst of those things, when we're looking around and saying, I don't understand, this doesn't make sense, this doesn't seem like God, this seems wrong, we can remind ourselves of the faithfulness of God because he is a God who will do what he says. And so can you imagine if that becomes the central focus of our conversation and our, our communication. So how many of you find yourself um, in your days talking to other people about the how? 
how am I going to get this done? How am I going to do this? Or um, can you do this for me because blah, 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 whatever it would be, we focus on those things. But if we can wrap our conversations and wrap our strategies and wrap our plans and our, and our um, concerns for how it's going to happen in the faithfulness of God, the testimony, I don't know how this is going to happen, but I remember that God did this and that he's faithful. And so, okay, let's figure this out. So I can just see the power that is in wrapping our conversations in the faithfulness of God. And I just really want to see that increase even more and more. So if you have a testimony, whether it is, I needed five bucks and I found five bucks, whatever it is, the smallest little thing, just start to talk, remember them and start to talk about them. How many of you know the person who tells the same story every time you see them? Okay, so start to think of testimonies and just repeat them. If they hear the same one over and over again, it's fine. It's okay. Say it's okay. I just gave all of you permission to be that person who tells the same story over and over again. Okay, so let's just remember those testimonies and make it part of our conversation and let's do it on purpose. So while I was preparing this message, I felt like there were two things that God wanted me to um, really highlight because uh, I feel like there's freedom in these things. So one of them um, was, uh, there was a movie that came out a long time ago, and it was, not, it was a dark movie. It was not a happy movie, but it was the example that I thought of, okay? So um, this family had a daughter who had cancer, um, and so what they did was they actually genetically... Um, created a second child um, to meet the needs of the first child. Like I told you, it was a dark movie, okay? Um, and so what they were doing was taking from one child to meet the needs of the other child. And I felt like the Lord um, spoke to me and said that there are some of us that believe, or when, when we see the faithfulness of God marked upon someone's life, um, subconsciously or consciously, it's like we look and we say, that is awesome, that's amazing. God, you're so faithful in their life. I am, And it's almost as if we are... Um, humbling ourselves to allow them to see the faithfulness of God and not partake of it for ourselves. It's almost like um, we think that if God has a gallon jug and he pours three quarters of it out onto one person, that there's only a quarter left for us. But that's not how God works. He doesn't work that way. He works 100% faithful for you and you and you and you and you. And so I felt like God really wanted to confront um, a mindset, even if it's a subtle thing inside of us. So I just ask Holy Spirit right now that if, it is, if that is touching any single person in this room, that you want to bring freedom to them. Uh, God, we just thank you for highlighting that. And God, we just repent of it right now. God, we repent of even um, thinking, even subtly, God, that you don't have enough to go around or that you don't have, uh, that you would give to one and not the other, um, and that you um, would even scapegoat some of us um, to, to give to someone else. Um, so, Father, we just repent of those things. We just break off those lies. And, God, we thank you that you give, and you give plentiful. You give um, without uh, fear of lack, and you give with more than enough. So, God, we just thank you that you're faithful 100% to every single person in this room. And, God, I thank you, Father, that even as we um, begin to consciously believe that, God, that we're going to see that it's true in our lives. In Jesus' name. So, um, and then the other thing was that I felt like God was speaking that some of us um, have dreams that we can figure out. 
um, and that we can know and figure out the how of all of the dreams. And I felt like God was saying, don't limit, don't limit me by the how. And so um, I feel like there's some limitations that God wants to remove off of dreams um, and off of visions and purpose um, in thinking that, um, that it's good and it's God because you can do it on your own or because you can figure it out and because you can know all the steps. Um, but God is saying um, to believe in him more than to believe in what makes sense. Um, and so, Father, I just thank you for uncapping um, the dreams in this place. God, I thank you for just um, opening up our spirits, God, and even showing us, reminding us of the times that you've been faithful. God, in the times where, um, where the Israelites stood before a sea and you split it so they could walk right through it. God, I thank you for showing us time and time again of your faithfulness, God, and how you're not limited by our hows and you're not limited by what makes sense or what we can can figure out. But God, you are a great God and you are a faithful God. So Father, I just release this house and this people to dream bigger than what they understand. And God, I thank you, Father, that as that happens, that there's going to be such an unearthing, such an uncapping uh, of potential in this house, God, and in this, in these people, God, that it's going to be so, um, it's almost like I see just like things starting to rapidly happen because you allow yourself to dream bigger. Um, and so that doesn't make sense in the natural, um, but I just feel like God is doing that, that he's even um, going to begin to unstop some wells as we um, stop covering them over because we think it can't be done. So God, we just thank you for what you're doing um, there, God, that you're going to just show us your dreams, God, and we're not going to limit you um, in any way, shape, or form. In Jesus' name. So I speak over you that the sky is the limit. I speak over you that God is a faithful God. I pray over this house. I prophesy that we would be a people who God says of us that we judged him faithful who had promised. Because his faithfulness is for you. In Galatians it says, and if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. The same promise that God made to Abraham. He's still that faithful God and that promise belongs to you. Say it belongs to me. So don't let anything take it from you because it belongs to you. Psalm 84:11 says, For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord will give grace and glory. No good thing will he withhold from those who walk uprightly. In the original, that word thing isn't there. So it just says, No good will he withhold from those who walk uprightly. Say, No good will he withhold from me. He holds nothing back from you. Hebrews 10.23, one of my favorite scriptures, uh, says, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Make that, like, make that a statement of your life. He who promised is faithful. The last scripture, 1 Corinthians 1, 4 through 4-9, says, I can never stop thanking God for all the wonderful gifts that he has given you. Now that you are Christ's, he has enriched your whole life. He has helped you speak out with him for him and has given you a full understanding of truth. What I told you Christ could do for you has happened. Now you have every grace and blessing, every spiritual gift and power for doing his will are yours during this time of waiting for the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he guarantees right up to the, the end that you will be counted free from all sin and guilt. 
on the day that he returns. God will surely do this for you, for he always does just what he says. And he is the one who invited you into this wonderful friendship with the Son, even Christ our Lord. So summing it all up are the words of John Lennon. I'm not singing. Everything will be okay in the end. If it's not okay, it's not the end. So God, we just thank you that you are a faithful God. Father, we thank you for our reminders, memorials of your faithfulness, God. Father, and I thank you, Father, that we will be a house who champions the faithfulness of God, that even in the world around us, that they will know that, that we're yours because we believe who you are. We believe that you're going to do what you say you're going to do, and we actually do the signs and wonders that you've called us to do. So, Father, I thank you for your grace upon each life. God, and I thank you for just marks of your faithfulness, even, uh, even this day as they go. God, just marks of your faithfulness being seen upon each and every one. In Jesus' name, amen.